Today we're focusing on a South African story. Uh, the South African Department of Home Affairs last week hosted a two-day national conference on international migration at the Santon Convention Center in Johannesburg where it revealed its white paper and we know that that was a, a, an extra step from what was uh, the green paper on international migration for South Africa. The Minister of uh, Home Affairs, Amalusi Kikaba, identified the development of a new international migration policy as one of his top priorities during his term of office. This policy review seeks to lay a foundation uh, for South Africa to manage international migration securely and effectively in line with the National Development Plan and the conference was attended by ministers of home affairs from Zimbabwe, Namibia, Lesotho and Swaziland as well as international experts and practitioners invited to share international experience on the management of international migration. Now, to discuss this issue of migration in South Africa, we have on the line Craig Smith, who's a specialist immigration practitioner, joining us once again. Who uh, He is uh, Craig's from Craig Smith's and Associates, and Leon Isaacson on the line, who is also joining us for our program. He's one of our users when we speak on the issue of migration. He's the Managing Director for Global Migration. Thank you both for giving us your time. Now, I've been looking at this white paper on international migration for South Africa and a lot of things stand out for me but uh, what is very interesting and that what stands out for me is what they highlight as the reasoning behind this particular paper. The paper highlights that the current approach encompasses an approach that is largely static limited to uh, uh, what they call compliance rather than to managing international migration strategically and in a secure manner. That's the reasoning behind this particular particular white paper. Let me start with you, Craig. What are your thoughts on the reasoning behind why we are at this point of uh, creating this new policy on migration in South Africa? Well, thank you very much for having me. The What the Department of Home Affairs was saying is it's since, since 1999, they had the last white paper uh, produced and they are saying that over all these years the time has come for a refresh of policy. What has what is quite obvious in in the white paper is a move towards a more controlling, restrictive, and management orientated immigration or migration policy, mm. um, which is the argument would go that you know if you adopt a more uh, a, a policy in which you are trying to attract foreign investment and foreign skills you can't necessarily have both at the same time you can't have a restrictive enforcement based model and at the on the other hand a fairly liberal and welcoming and, and friendly immigration regime so what they seem to have done is they have attempted to argue that having researched the matter uh, internationally, having looked at the regional issues with uh, the SADC countries and the AU, they've come up with a policy that they think is in keeping with pursuing the National Development Plan. Um, so it puts our immigration regime on a, on a path of control, of enforcement, and restriction, um, which, in my view, we've seen over the last few years since the new immigration regime in 2014, mm. we've seen a much higher uh, focus on controlling, on detaining, on arresting, as opposed to 
keeping, uh, being mindful of our target market and looking at foreign investment. But unfortunately, I think our home affairs have looked rather insular in this manner and, and have focused more on, on, on issues that perhaps are not real, the real issues. Mm. Like, for example, they are fixated with the idea of the asylum seekers and refugees, which is quite right, but they are, I think, losing touch with the idea of getting foreign investment into the country and making it more viable for those foreign investors to get the necessary visas to come in and invest in South Africa. And that, mm. in my view, is the mm. only way to improve unemployment. Mm. Well, let me bring it to you as well, Leon, your, your thoughts, because it is a balancing act, uh, because we can't run away from the fact that uh, there has been a huge uh, real problem issue in South Africa where we've seen these uh, violent protests that took place even recently and also just year in and year out we've seen uh, the Im- immigration situation in South Africa of you know the whole xenophobic at what people call a xenophobic attacks of foreigners taking over their jobs and the conversation of scarce resources being central to this conversation of immigration in the country which makes this issue even more complex in this particular document yeah look it is it is complex and I think one of the things that one has to um, bear in mind is that it's very difficult for governments anywhere in the world and I would challenge anybody to name a government that's doing this job perfectly it's it's impossible for them to keep track um, and to manage this particular issue in real time I mean there are very sophisticated European companies, uh, countries that are hundreds of years old that are that are wrestling with us today and tomorrow there will be another crisis um, for them to deal with. As you've seen with the standoff between Turkey and Germany, mm. um, the, 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 it, it's complex and it's going to get more complex. The subtext to all of this is where people believe, and this is where politicians start listening to the internal messages rather than the, the international requirements, is that we citizens and voters start to believe that the other people, the foreigners, the refugees, asylum seekers, and people from other countries are taking their jobs and opportunities, you have this type of discontent, mm. um, which we've seen in Pretoria and Joburg, and, and, and it's sort of flared up really on an annual basis in South Africa. We've got to be very careful that we don't have politicians playing into this kind of hate speech where people are allowed to have unconstitutional um, condemning certain people in the country who could be refugees or asylum seekers who in fact are protected by the constitution. So I think as a country we've got to be careful. The shift to a strategic approach is very important, but one must remember that at the level below that strategic approach, once the policy is in place, it does largely become what one could call a compliance issue. Mm. So let's say South Africa says uh, from 2020, we want people with a degree in science and or we want uh, people with capital and business investment. Mm. The bureaucrats should be processing a predictable system and there should be predictable outcomes. That is where the whole, the whole compliance mm. co- component sits. At the moment, I think there's a fear uh, and perception, not a fear rather, um, that we have inconsistent decision-making mm. within the current home affairs structure. So uh, you, you might get a really great decision and a straightforward decision today, and tomorrow you get an incomprehensible decision which really 
doesn't look like the officials work for this country or this government because mm. it, 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 is, it is just completely unreasonable. The, the result of that, when you don't have clear policy and you don't have a clear bureaucracy, is that people have to either they lose the opportunity and the country loses the opportunity to recruit the skills or they go to court. And at the moment, my perception is that there's, there's, there's a, a, a large percentage of these poor decisions Hmm. Um, coming out of the, the Home Affairs Adjudication Hub and the, on the refugee side um, are ending up in court because there's inconsistent decision-making, and that needs to be cleared up. Hmm. Well, we're talking to Leon Isaacson, who is the Managing Director of Global Migration, and Craig Smith, who is a specialist uh, uh, in immigration, and he's also a practitioner. Uh, he's from the Craig Smith and Associates. I'm going to take a quick break, but we're asking the question on our Twitter handle, at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. Remember, our two handles are at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. So go to our Twitter handle, uh, we're asking the question, what should South Africa do to manage the influx of migrants and asylum seekers in the country? Uh, tweet us your thoughts, because this is an issue of uh, management. Uh, give us your thoughts on how do we actually uh, deal with this in the backdrop of uh, this uh, real uh, fight for resources and uh, employment within South Africa. It's 11.16 Central African time. We'll come back and explore this white paper a little bit more because there's more areas to explore. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Agro-Africa. Hello. From the first Wednesday of this month, Agro-Africa will be coming to you at 9.20 a.m. Central African Time and on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Central African Time. Tune in to Agro-Africa and listen to stories about agriculture and its development in the African continent. We are on shortwave, internet live streaming and DSTV audio bouquet channel 802. Agro-Africa, bringing agriculture to the comfort of your home. Agro-Africa. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Uh, the time right now is uh, 18 minutes past 11 o'clock. That's Central African time or South African time, if you would like. Uh, remember, we're on uh, DSTV on Channel 802, as well as online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're looking at uh, this uh, white paper on international migration for South Africa. We know there's a huge backdrop that uh, the policy uh, proposals come amid a wave of violence in recent weeks against the African immigrants whom violent protesters have uh, and have accused of uh, taking jobs and scarce resources away from South Africa. The issue of uh, uh, employment is one that is very much uh, central to this debate and we can't run away from it. Remember, want to hear your thoughts on our Twitter account at Channel Africa One or at, Def- Af- at African Dialogue. We are 
asking the question, what should South Africa do to manage the influx of migrants and asylum seekers? Give us your thoughts on that particular platform. And uh, the policy itself, as it introduces itself, it it states that the the current approach is not holistic. And I think that uh, some of our guests have highlighted that, especially Leon has spoke of that. And uh, it shows that uh, it also says that the significant policy gaps exist in a number of areas such as asylum seeker and refugee management. And uh, let me come to you, Craig. Where are the loopholes there when it comes to uh, that asylum seeker and refugee management? Well, you know, asylum the management of the asylum process through to refugee status, in terms of our 1999 Act and the regulations that accompany it, um, in, in terms of its, and of course those pieces of legislation conform with the international, various international treaties, those, those two pieces, insert the Act and the regulations, are actually well constructed and well drafted. They have mm. uh, vigorous timelines, and in my view, those pieces of legislation would stand up to what we would experience in first world like Canada and, and some of the countries in Europe, Australia. Um, we have a we have a progressive asylum seeking regime, and and you know at the end of the day, since 1994, when we took on a, a you know a new role in in terms of the African region and the SADC countries, and historically what you know the, where they were uh, uh, um, alliances and the like, you know we have to accept that there would be those push and pull factors, and people would come into the country. I, I've always struggled with the idea that, yes, it is always a difficult uh, task of, of managing an influx of asylum seekers. Um, but unfortunately, what you had is you had home affairs who threw their hands in the air and said, oh, everyone are economic migrants. Instead of rather looking inwards and looking at their own skill sets, looking at their own systems and processes and laws, you know, we had almost ten, five or six years of just unfortunately, actually 10 years, of, of not really uh, organizing themselves well around adjudication. And with the result, these asylum seekers, through various reasons, rooted themselves in this country. It was then almost a point of no return, where there was no ways in which these people who came into South Africa for various reasons started families, started work, which our immigration or asylum seeker regime allowed, and then it almost becomes too late. So now we have a situation where our home affairs becomes fixated and obsessed with this idea of asylum seekers in the country, obsessed with getting refugee status and through to citizenship. And, and home affairs is looking at this as an, in an insular way, and in fact they go as far as to say that it's rather unfair for, a, say, a citizen by birth or descent, like I assume you and I, for uh, an asylum seeker to gain the same access to citizenship, they're they almost arguing, asserting in a, as a policy that that's not right. Now, that's rather unfortunate, and I don't think that mm. falls within the spirit of the international treaties. But uh, my point is that they unfortunately fail to look inwards. They fail, this is home affairs, and look at their own resources and look at their resourcefulness and industriousness in 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 processing in organizing these asylum seekers and then it's gone 
past the point of no return, and now there's a knee-jerk reaction to total enforcement, uh, a total uh, enforcement-orientated uh, regime. And unfortunately, the good ones, the investors and those with critical skills, you know, fall within the same perception. Uh, and this, I, I think, is where we've got it wrong. We, we do need to identify, and if we have a risk-based system, we do need to identify where the trouble areas are and where the good areas are. And unfortunately, we're only as good as the department in their risk-based assessment model. We're only as good as their assessment. But if they get it wrong, we now have law that reflects an incorrect mm-hmm. policy assessment, and that's my concern. Mm. Leon, your thoughts there, because uh, I feel like we are in a very intense situation there and that scrabble for resources is one that is actually making us make these hasty decisions. But we can't deny the fact that there has to be some kind of of management in terms of this asylum seeker and refugee uh, status issue. Look, uh, it, it, it is, and it's going to be a, an ongoing issue for quite a while. I think if one simply takes Zimbabwe and kind of takes a, takes a sober look at it, it's unlikely, for example, that even the dispensation extension visa holders, extension permit holders who are in the country at the moment and have the right to be here until the end of 2017, it's highly unlikely that they're going to be going back to any uh, positive opportunities by the end of this year. The Zimbabwean election is only 2018, 2019, and obviously after the political settlement and uh, solution, one hopes that there'll be an economic upsurge. So that that could take about 200,000 people out of the economy if those people leave or are deported. I don't know what the decision of government is yet, and government hasn't taken a decision. Over and above that, the, the numbers indicate that there are anything between another one and a half and four million people in the country. It's a big range, and part of the problem is that the data is unfortunately not accurate and readily available, who, who should not be here. And they're either on asylum seeker, the, uh, asylum seeker permits, which Home Affairs is contesting because they're purely economic, or refugee status, which may be terminated, or they are completely undocumented. And we can't underestimate the undocumented people who have missed the whole dispensation process since 2010, because if they didn't get their first dispensation permit in 2010 from Zimbabwe, they, they couldn't get one thereafter. And I say that from anecdotal experience. There are people who just came after that um, after that process and, and simply just travel in and out of the country, or um, you know, all sorts of stories about them just cutting the fence and jumping the river and all the rest. And, and, and that holds for some of our neighboring states. The other thing is that as Lesotho has had its challenges in the last two years. Um, that has flushed people into predominantly Gauteng and the Free State and KZN because things are unstable there. Um, and that doesn't look like it's settling down anytime soon. So the numbers are quite high, and the competition for resources uh, where people actually are, are scrambling, um, scrambling for an existence and just to survive are, is a reality. Uh, and it's, it's going to be something, unfortunately, that we have to live with, with the help of the UN and the international community, until there is primarily economic stability in the region. Mm. Now, let's look at uh, 
these considerations, what is in this white paper, because they want to create uh, processing centers for asylum seekers along South Africa's borders. Staying with you, Leon, do you think this is a, a solution? Do you think this is something that is really going to actually change the, the influx in South Africa? Because as we know, they're quite porous right currently. And could this um, uh, processing centers make things easier for the South African Home Affairs Department? Okay, so firstly, this is a major policy shift from the South African government because up until the previous policy papers and documents and statements around this, they said that they would not put people into processing centers or camps. If you read the white paper in other places, it says that people will then, um, who come in as asylum seekers and refugees, not necessarily have the right to work or to study or conduct business, which they do have at the moment. Mm. So I think that it's going to be problematic because effectively you're going to be dealing with a large number of people who either have to make their way to these centers or who have to be forced into these centers and, and then will not have the right to be in, in, in communities and, um, and, and basically survive. I think there's a huge issue of dignity um, of individuals around, this, the, the, around these camps. Internationally, they've been shown to... But won't, uh, are we having a misunderstanding of these centers? Because my understanding is that there won't be necessarily camps, but processing centers for, uh, for status and staying in South Africa, not necessarily that they'll be isolated from the population or isolated from normal life in South Africa. They are, by their nature, at the, at the border regions in South Africa, isolated. And there are huge problems. We're hearing of people who go there for... Um, processing meetings, in, the, in other words, to update and uh, have their visas, uh, sorry, their permits extended, and they are then detained immediately. They, they have no access to legal advice because you're talking mm. about Messina, Potts, and Pretoria, Marabastat, and in KZN, mm. um, and, and these are people who don't have the money to go and engage an advocate or, a, or an attorney and, and have their rights protected. So, there, I mean, there's a, there's a huge issue around that. I, th- I think what everyone says here, we're talking about isolating people and keeping them out of the, out, out of the, uh, the integrated model that we have at the moment where, where in fact, they would probably be deported. Um, they would be deported from those centers um, because the determination would be made relatively quickly, probably without representation, because of the pure numbers in the location, um, and I think that that will be contested because our courts mm. have, our courts have, as an atti- broad legal attitude, uh, wanted to protect the dignity of, of anybody, not just South Africans, but um, asylum seekers and refugees throughout these processes. Mm. Craig, do you uh, agree with Leon? Well, you know, we've, when it comes to the courts, which I'm um, heavily involved in, in terms of litigation against the department, and I only have to think of a very recent case, which is still ongoing, which is challenging, which is the asylum seeker challenging his or her right to remain in South Africa and do a change of status within the realms of the immigration law. Um, now, interestingly, the Western in the Western Cape High Court, a decision um, was made, which uh, which uh, went against Home Affairs to so that to, to allow them to apply for a change of status in South Africa, which was a pro-asylum position. Um, and what we've seen is Home Affairs opposing this position, um, asking for leave to appeal going to now the Supreme Court of Appeal to contest this position. So you can, you can see from the top 
that there is an attitude of, of one of control, of one of not having them in the country, not giving them the opportunity to link to an immigration status and in turn potentially get, get residency. And, and the question is, 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 is home affairs, are they cognizant of their international obligations? Are they cognizant of the fundamental right of asylum seekers and refugees? And I would have thought that we would adopt a different approach to some of the countries in Europe with the mass influx where they literally, uh, you know, for want of a better word, built walls that, you know, we've heard about from various countries. Uh, and we've adopted a, a similar, quite steadfast, stoic response to, to the reception of asylum seekers and, and, and refugees. But, I mean, to be fair, that, that's just one case of of how we're dealing with international migration. Of course, the, you know, just want, I don't want to change the the, the the narrative here, but of course, you know, immigration is not just about the asylum seekers and refugees. It's also about those people with capital and skills coming into our country. But unfortunately, what you do see is uh, an attitude that um, cross-pollinates refugee and asylum seekers, which is a hardcore controlling, uh, restrictive attitude to that of immigration in general. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think that uh, this is a good thing. Um, I know that government in its policy wants to de-link rights of asylum seekers and refugee, um, refugee holders to, to potentially permanent resident. And in the same way, visitors coming in and getting temporary residence and permanent residence to delinking them to citizenship. So, they, you know, we are seeing a general approach being adopted both against asylum seekers and refugees and those immigrants who can add a huge amount of value. But I, I will come back to the fact that the department has made it clear and the minister has made it clear that he is, uh, remaining steadfast to to the goal of the national development plan, which which in itself uh, I have an issue with because you know the economy is built up by a whole series of transactions of of creating uh, transactions and, and 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 growing the economy and more money in the economy, and if we keep out even undocumented mi migrants and there's many schools of thought that say that that in itself. It's not a bad thing for the country. It's inevitable, but it actually takes away portions of, of, of investment. Um, and I, I'm not sure that if – I'm not sure that in, in a risk-based approach we are identifying um, the, the value that even mm -hmm. undocumented mm -hmm. migrants make. And if you start with that perception, which then becomes your policy and then finally law, I, I'm not sure – that we are on the right track. Mm. I, I, I just briefly, I know the Minister of Home Affairs in South Africa even spoke about following the Zambian model of, of immigration where, where he, he or she, whoever takes that position, must have greater powers and move immigration and the like beyond administrative processes mm. into this big security-orientated machinery. And, and I, I think we have a problem. I, I think if, that, if we're wrong from the outset, it's going to translate into bad law. Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and then look some other areas within uh, this uh, white paper. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Let's take a quick break, and then after that, we'll wrap up the conversation.
Change your game. Your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs, educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10.45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Just a reminder that in 10 minutes or so, we'll get our business news and our sports. So do stay with us uh, for those updates uh, uh, with our reporters coming in or our presenters coming in to give us that particular update in around 11.45 and 11.50. Well, uh, Tony Elumelu, who is the director of the Commission on Free Movement of Persons for the Economic Community for West African State, was speaking at this conference that was uh, taking place that was hosted by the Department of Home face some last week the national conference on international migration in Santon, and he says that south africa's proposed the policy uh, works well with the transitionary uh, nature of intra uh, african migration i highlight that because i'm looking right now at management of admissions and departures section of the white paper it speaks of relaxation of visa requirements for certain nationals and categories of international migrants in including uh, frequent travelers, business persons, academics. Uh, and I want to pick your thoughts there, Craig and Leon, on what you think of them. Maybe this is something that you highlighted earlier on, uh, uh, Leon. Okay, so what they're talking about there is where it comes to people who are from approved countries at the moment, um, these people can move in on a, on a visa-exempt basis. In other words, their visas are issued at the airport. They don't have to go to South African embassy um, and then put in a, a, fu- a full application, which a person from a, a visa-restricted country would have to do. What they're talking about is increasing the number of countries who would have that type of um, freedom to travel into South Africa, but they do talk about three different categories. So you would be then looking at people who come purely as visitors on holiday and people who come here for short-term um, visits and business visits, so they're not they're not impinging on the economy or taking a job. The next level would be those who um, want to come in and receive a, a formal work permit for South Africa, or rather would apply from abroad. Uh, and then the business investors and those who actually want to trade. So they're still not in the third, first, and third categories. They're not impinging on um, South African jobs, and they're at, and they're adding value in their activities. In the second category, which is the work visa application, you then get into the Immigration Act and possibly an amended Immigration Act and regulations, and they're saying this should predominantly be driven um, by critical skills, and those people in the critical skills category are deemed to add value because the country needs those skills. So what they're talking about is, is widening the, the, the 
the categories mm. and controlling it, but actually having a, a, a an African focus. So obviously they want to widen this to most most of all African countries, and this mm. is done at a diplomatic level. Mm. There is one problem with that, mm. and it, it doesn't relate to South Africa. It relates to any country in the modern world, and we don't live in an isolated thing called a country or a continent anymore. We live in a global village. Um, the technology and the intellectual capital the intellectual capital and the financial capital may not come from Africa. It may come from a city in India where IT skills are, are plentiful and are very, well, um, are very well trained, and we may want an Indian IT company to come into South Africa mm. to do certain things as well as train South Africans. So I think having a very narrow, restrictive policy which um, relates only to Africa is, is not realistic in terms, of, uh, in terms of the modern economy of the world. Um, but it may, it may, in in broad policy concepts, kind of keep our diplomatic relationships going with our predominantly African partners. Craig, your thoughts? Well, look, you know, the one thing I I notice in terms of this uh, the policy approach, if if we are focusing on national development plan, which I believe is an insular, arguably, you know, that uh, national development plan is all about creating jobs. I would have thought that we would want to, uh, as fast as possible, uh, make South Africa more competitive, uh, make it a land to invest in. But, I mean, at, uh, Leon is correct. You, what, is, what is ironic is that you have many of these BRICS countries, and you'd say have Russia, you would have India, and you would have China. And those three um, countries are, are, are our allies supposedly, yet those three countries are obliged to get visas to come into South Africa. If the intention is to open that up and to make them visa exempt and allow them to come in, well, then that's great. But, you know, as it, as it currently stands, um, I'm not sure whether that goes against the grain of a, of a risk-based restrictive regime. I mean, time will tell whether they do open that up to being visa exempt. If indeed that is the case, well, then, that, then that's a good thing. Of course, it's got to be complemented by by uh, aligned Im, uh, immigration laws. And there's no point aligning them in as visitors, and then they're making it more difficult to to start up businesses and invest. And yes, there are some countries that that have high intellectual abilities and investment, um, you know, opportunities that that we could take advantage of. And we really need to look at that. But if if we are not going to look at a bigger picture and move beyond an Africa approach, I do believe that um, we are not going to grow the economy from a macro point of view. And that in turn, it's all, my position has always been that grows uh, unemployment or reduces unemployment and grows the economy, but not an insular approach where you want to limit the number of general work visas and the like. Look at it as a bigger picture. And, and we're, we're really at the whim of the department in their own identification and risk-based approach. And that is, that is a problem I have. Mm. So I just want to wrap up the conversation. We're left with uh, four minutes or so, so I'll give you two minutes each just to wrap up the conversation. Let me stay with you, Craig, in terms of what's the way forward. We know that this uh, white paper now is uh, in Parliament as we speak. And uh, uh, do you think that uh, this is going to pass, or do you think that there's still going to be a contestation with some of the points? Well, let's put it this way. Um, it took over 10 years once they did the amendments in 2004 
to 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 replace uh, existing laws and and make amendments. Home Affairs is only recently and arguably not even coming to grips with those changes in itself. We now want to uh, approach this with with new vigor and new policy, and I, I'm not sure if if the intellectual capital within the department is in a position to go with this approach because I think it is quite highly demanding. It's very strategic. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure where they will be if, they, if this will result in a misalignment and a further fragmentation of the Department of Home Affairs. But I have to say it's commendable that they produce a policy for discussion. It's a pity we don't have an immigration advisory board to give the other side of the coin mm. and, and, and alternative arguments. But um, I have to say the argument would be it's in the right direction. Leon, your thoughts? Um, I think there are I think there are a couple of concerns. I think the the white paper is very short, sorry, very short on on hardcore research. I would like to see something which is uh, really in depth and actually draws conclusions from research and and not from uh, a largely a largely largely political talk. I'm afraid. I've seen enough of these policy documents to know that you've actually got to translate these into implementable points, and that comes from research. It doesn't come from the political platitudes. The other thing is that uh, there's no point in even having a discussion around policy if you don't control your borders. We, we have porous borders, and you know, quite frankly, when I saw the assessment on the, the border management agency, I, I, I was quite shocked. I mean, there's an admission at the highest levels, and this is a cabinet document, that our borders are effectively porous. So, I mean, it kind of serves as a textbook for terrorists and organized crime because they now know where they can penetrate the border without any without any kind of um, you know, implementation of law and order. The other thing is that the Border Management Agency um, is going to be subject to constitutional challenges because they're not quite sure who's going to manage it and how it's going to be managed. You can't, you'll have to change the constitution for Home Affairs to manage this agency. And, and the budget is only going to be allocated in 2019 for this. So I think you're probably looking at about another five to ten year process to put this into legislation. And quite frankly, in terms of the current budget and processes at Parliament, probably about another 10 to 20 years before this gets implemented. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, good, it's, good, it's good broad talk, um, but, but you're really talking about completely renewing, overhauling this, um, this, this department and this agency. And, and I don't think that the government has the money to pour into this because there are other priorities in the country at the moment.